It's the DNP Project Podcast with your hosts, Dr. Molly Bradshaw and Dr. Tracy Vitale. Welcome to the DMP Project Podcast. I'm here today with my co-host, Dr. Tracy Vitale. Hi, Tracy. Hi, Molly. And I'm Dr. Molly Bradshaw. And in this episode, we're making our DMP Project predictions for 2021. What's going to happen in this new year? What kind of projects are we going to see? What do we think is going to be different about projects this year? So kick us off, Tracy. What kind of projects do you think we're going to be seeing more of in 2021? Well, I really think we're going to see a shift. And I think, you know, not only are we starting a new year, it's, you know, traditionally we make uh, resolutions and what are we going to do different this year? I really think we're going to see projects really take on um, a a new focus. First, I really think we're going to start to look at projects that are policy-based. It might be on a systems Mm -hmm. level, where are their gaps in policies, how can um, a student really look at the developing of evidence-based practice policies, um, maybe for an organization. It could even be broader and really looking at, um, you know, what's going on in the literature. Um, I know there's been massive debate about systematic reviews and while they're not alone an appropriate DMP project, there can certainly be a knowledge translation, uh, knowledge transfer component to it. Um, we may see projects that look at that, where as a result of um, reviewing the literature and seeing what's out there, um, students developing policy briefs. I really think that the development of policy briefs is going to come out in 2021. Um, it's a way to help remove the student from some of the unknown in terms of what's going on in our um hospital systems with COVID and and especially being from in the Northeast where um, we still have, you know, very high positivity rate. I think students are going to try and avoid that. Um, The other thing I think is going to happen is folks are going to start to look at big data um, and again, plan for what to do, identify the gaps in what's going on um, in helping our patients, helping our members of the community. So um, what do I think that that's going to look like? Um, I think it's going to be looking at Department of Health data, whether it's local, countywide, statewide, um, and aligning that with the initiatives of um, the local government. You know, where are their, um, where are their health goals uh, for the year. So um, in New Jersey, there's a lot of focus on um, maternal child health, um, obesity, the opioid epidemic. I think that we're going to, you know, we have a great opportunity for DNP students to really be on the forefront of that, get their hands dirty with some of that data. Um, Again, it's a way to engage with, with the community. I want to go back. I like what you said about the policy, and I just want to share you know, COVID has caused policy to need to be developed at the rapid rate. And even when we talk about system policy and Department of Public Health policy and all this kind of thing, I can think of, I mean, I'm a nurse practitioner. So just in my own clinic, the policies that we have had to write this year on how do we triage patients? um, How do we clean our rooms? how are we going to do this monoclonal antibody infusion? 
um, how often should we monitor, you know, monitor vital signs and, and just things like that. Um, use of PPE, where do we discard PPE? So I would say I've been at this clinic for about three years now, and we have probably written more policy on the rapid rate, uh, telehealth policy, how do we do this? How do we do that? And even algorithms for just the day-to-day -day, uh, workflows and different things like that, those are absolutely projects that a DMP student could do for just a simple primary care, private practice. It, you know, everybody needs those policies. And it's been a very difficult year in practice overall, let alone the time that we've invested in all the administrative work that has had to go into this. So I, I think that I totally agree with that. And I think that it's at every level. It's at the basic privately owned clinic level to the corporate level to the public health systems level. I think, another, your, I, I think to your, sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt no, you. Okay. There, I think to your point about having to be able to rapidly adjust and look at the information that goes for the research too. you know, thinking specifically about COVID and how the recommendations are changing, the evidence, the science is coming out so quickly. It's our role as DMPs to try and make heads or tails of that. What does that look like? Oh, I love that. For the primary care setting, how you know okay, here are your recommendations roll it out. Well, I'm a I'm a sole practitioner, or there's only two of us, and you know we don't have you know we're out in the country, we don't have a lot of resources versus someone that one? might have it. What are we going to do about vaccine hesitancy? Right, you know, and I, I've been saying a lot to my students and to other people like that. If you're questioning why you need the DMP degree, now is the opportunity, and the answer is exactly what you said. We have to make heads or tails of this so that we can counsel and talk to our patients. And there have been a dozen people, my family, patients, everybody, asking me, "Should I get the vaccine? How does it work?" How, how does all this fit together? And so it's our role to translate that information. And people have been vaccine hesitant for a long time. So this right. is a whole new level of hesitancy that goes on because of this pandemic and crisis. So I could see some projects coming through on just the idea of how are we going to not just logistically roll the vaccine out, but how are we going to educate and convince people that this is evidence-based. Right. And while it's been great to see um, in, in the national media, um, the recognition of the, of the efforts of nurses and, you know, on social media, my colleagues that are getting vaccinated and posting their pictures, um, I'm starting to see some information and some reports about um, healthcare providers that are not getting vaccinated. Mm -hmm. And I'm starting to field calls from my network of people, friends and family who are saying, you know, listen, I, I was all along was thinking about, you know, of course I'm going to get the vaccine, but the fact that I'm seeing some nurses are hesitant to get it. Now I'm not really sure because if they don't want to get it, then why should I? Um, so it is absolutely time for us to be looking at the evidence and, and really identifying, you know, what's going on so we can. And there is some good evidence out there on vaccine hesitancy interventions, but it's in regard to our more traditional vaccines. It's not really um, 
I would say probably not so many studies addressing this particular type of vaccine technology. So right. very, very exciting. I like to circle back too to what you said about the community partners, even besides public health. I think that the DMP student has an opportunity to offer their expertise to other organizations that maybe are not resource rich. You know, what about our long-term care facilities? What about our school systems that are probably in some desperate need of counseling advice from medical experts, uh, helping them with the logistics of uh, social distancing and the health the health concerns that go along with that. What do you do if there's kids that are attending school and there's some kind of medical requirement? I had a girl in my clinic the other day and she has eczema and her hands are broke out from all the hand sanitizer, but there was no real system at the school for how to, I mean, I could write her a note like the old days, but they really had to make some accommodation for her to be able to not use hand sanitizer. So just some things like that. And I would throw out the last but not least is our first responders, our yeah. EMS community, fire, um, all of those communities. Um, of course, that's a big part of my family. You know, I'm, I have a lot of those in my family, but not to forget that they are truly not as resource rich as nursing, meaning people to help them look at their data, look at best practices, things like that. So I think projects could even stem out to help answer some of the questions and provide some evidence-based service that they may not otherwise get access to. Right, absolutely. And, and um, I have worked with some students um, on projects that have focused their efforts on um, pre-hospital. So at Rutgers, we, we have a um, emergency care track. So sometimes those students, their projects are focused primarily in the emergency room, but sometimes they're thinking, you know, well, the goal is to keep the patients from coming to the emergency room, especially if they're not urgent or emergent, you know, events. Um, so they have started looking at that data. Um, we've had nurses do projects where they're um, working with our first responders um, in, um, uh, excuse me, it went out of my head, um, like active shooter preparation um, and the coordination of those efforts between hospital, pre-hospital, other emergency services. Um, and you're right, they don't necessarily have the resources and their focus may not be on looking at you know, evidence-based practice. They might be thinking of it from a, you know, organizational, what's our policy? What's our, you know, is our policy based on um, mitigating legal recourse, et cetera, but let's make sure that everything we're doing is also based on, you know, what the research so shows our best strategies. And, you know, it's important for us to work together. They lump us all in as first responders, you know, healthcare providers. So we should be collaborating with them. Mm -hmm. And I'll throw the big, the big kahuna out there. This is going to be the big one, I think, is the mental health. Uh, we didn't talk even about that in our prep for this, but mental health, I'm seeing a lot of projects focused on stress reduction for nurses, mindfulness, mm -hmm. um, just all kinds of strategies. And what's interesting about it is a lot of them are truly non-pharmacologic 
in a lot of ways. It's more the integrative, holistic type interventions, which I find very interesting because there is truly not, I think, as a body of evidence, as much well-developed science on those topics, even though traditionally we kind of know some of these things work, most of the studies are not robust in their numbers or, or some things like that. And of course, the DMP project is more about getting it utilized and see if it make, made an impact. But still, I think even those projects make a contribution by saying we tried this out and it works. But I think we're going to see a lot of mental health interventions really coming not just from our mental health MPs, but coming from FNPs, adult geros, pediatrics, women's health, you know, coming nurse, even nurses yeah. at the bedside, but coming from other levels of and other parts of nursing. Well, I think you're going to see it from nursing leadership. Um, mm -hmm. I was scrolling through Twitter the other day and I saw a tweet that said, um, I don't think they said what type of employment they had, but um, the tweet was, oh my gosh, my employer just instituted um, three mental health days per year that are not connected to um, sick time. Wow. So, you know, and then some of my nursing colleagues had retweeted it. So that's how I had, I, how, that's how I had seen it. But I think that that's really interesting. You know, some of the early research that came out last year um, talked about the post-traumatic stress of COVID on nurses and folks that are leaving the profession. That's certainly something that our nursing leaders that are in executive leadership roles are, are facing. Um, I, I see it from my nurses that are stressed and frustrated um, about a variety of things and it's impacting them and their usual outlet of being able to go away on vacation. I'm just gonna take some time off. Um, it is not available because of what we're currently dealing with. So we have to find other strategies to deal with this. Um, you know, we've seen a lot of projects on compassion fatigue, um, but I think now we have to look at, um, you know, just the health and well-being of ourselves as mm -hmm. as health as members of the healthcare team. Um, so I think that'll come out. And again, that's got policy implications. It's got um, hands-on interventions for um, nurses to use and coping. Um, so I think that's a, a great point, Molly, that, that that's an opportunity for projects. And especially in regard to mental health and things like that, I think in COVID we've seen an explosion of utilization of social media as a means for our mental health, you know, to stay connected and have community. And I think we're also going to see in 2021 projects really utilizing social media in some way. Maybe they're using social media to conduct a need survey. Maybe they're using social media as a way to create a group where they're going to perform some type of intervention, like a support group. Maybe social media is the, um, as you say, with the systematic review, the place where knowledge transfer and uptake occurs. It generates data on exposure. There's analytics that go along with that. So that might be the more robust dissemination piece of that. But I think that we're going to see a lot of use 
of social media, we've seen a really a, an explosion of online courses, you know, being offered randomly, you know, an, an online course for this or that. So not that DMP projects are about education alone. They always have to be coupled with something, but it's interesting the opportunities that social media creates as it goes with the DMP project. I think we're gonna see more of that too in 2021. I agree. And I think that, you know, while it while it doesn't seem possible, we are we are facing students. We are we are enrolling students in our programs that don't know life without social media. Mm -hmm. um, so for them, social media is our equivalent of a journal article, a newspaper article, a, a textbook. Um, so you know, just like this podcast and why we're doing it, social media is where. I'm seeing a lot of these younger students are going to um, in their information. Mm -hmm. um, and it, interestingly, your point about the analytics, um, we have a, a nurse anesthetist student whose project is about the use of social media for, um, she's looking at the analytics for how anesthesia, folks in the anesthesia community use social media. She's looking at the demographics of the people that are using it um, and what information they're getting related to their practice. Mm -hmm. um, so, I mean, that's the first one that I've ever seen, but I'm sure it's going to continue. Mm -hmm. And that's a great example of a project that would build if you know that your particular health community or population, I mean, really you could do the same thing with the patient population too, right? But when you know the population is going here and what kind of information they're trying to access, it creates the opportunity for you to create good and good information and put it out there. And that's the other thing I would challenge faculty to think about, especially is that if we don't put good information out there, people will find poor information other places. And I think as a profession, as nurses, we need to be very, um, very certain that we're putting out good content because there's got to be something to counterbalance all of the bad information that's going on. Absolutely. It's not any different than the argument about the image of nursing. Yes. You know, is it the, the, the skinny person with the hat with the half of a fabric <laughs> white dress with the nursing cap with the glasses and you know not looking very bright or is it the pictures that we've seen over unfortunately over the course of the year with nurses really working their tails off in these you know um uncertain times and you know um what's the image that we're putting out there um, as nurses, I think is the same in terms of the information. As nurses, we need to be putting out accurate evidence-based information to, in order for the community to be making educated decisions. Totally agree. The other, and we may end on this, we can certainly talk more if people have questions on another episode, but in the spirit of all the political turmoil that we've had this year, all of the tragedies that we've had as a country, I would also predict, or even I would like to see, in fact, some DMP projects come through that are focused on inclusion, diversity, celebrating people as humans, no matter who you are, where you're from, what your walk of life has been, 
I think that we could do more work. And certainly there's position statements from all kinds of nursing organizations, um, but culture, diversity are things that should be respected, celebrated. What are the strategies and interventions that we can do to heal? Um, you know, to, to address it, to heal. There was a presentation at the AACN DMP conference yesterday, uh, kind of on this subject and how we as leaders in nursing start to um, have these conversations. So I would, I would really like to see some projects focused maybe on those concepts and what the evidence-based interventions are um, and how we roll that out into our healthcare workforce and organizations, and honestly, really even into our communities. I think there's a lot of hurt um, in at every whatever you're. There's just a lot of hurt and things going on, and I think we um, I think we need to work on solutions for that. Yeah, I agree. I think that's a, a great point, um, and in speaking with some other faculty colleagues from around the country, um, there's been some consistency in identifying the gap in that existing in our curriculum. So I think that schools across the country are trying to address diversity and inclusion. Um, I would think we need to go to the folks that have more experience with it. And I think that those are our students. I think as faculty members, we really need to be receptive to what they need, what they're saying. Um, our student population is much more diverse than it has ever been. Um, and they've got some really, really great ideas and they're looking for it. And I can't help but think of all the times we hear um, when we look at the young, our future is so bright, mm -hmm. right? So this is a perfect opportunity to say, you know, we can do it and maybe as, and recognize as faculty members, we might not have thought of it, mm -hmm. but they did. Mm -hmm. So to be able to be a little bit vulnerable and say, well, I don't know a whole lot about that, but let's do this together. I know what, you know, here we're talking about DMP projects. So I know what a DMP project needs to be, but you're interested in the topic. Let's, let's get this done together and really make it a collaborative effort and pull in the experts that can contribute to that you know, from the community, mm -hmm. um, because the, those resources are out there and that's going to help. Mm -hmm. Well, this has been I a great that. conversation. Maybe next year we can review this podcast and see how accurate our predictions were. Um, but we thank everybody for listening. If you want to hear more, uh, subscribe to our podcast. You can also get your own copy of the DMP Project Workbook at springer.com, where Tracy and I walk you through a step-by-step -step process of how to get the work done for your project. And we will continue to try to put out these podcast sessions. If you would like to be interviewed for the podcast, if you're a student, we wanna hear about your DMP project. How did you do that? Tell us your story. And if you're a faculty member and you've got some perspective, tips, tricks, we're all about hearing from all of you. So we look forward to the next episode. You've been listening to Dr. Molly Bradshaw and Dr. Tracy Vitale on the DMP Project Podcast. Check out the DMP Project YouTube channel at DMP Success on YouTube.